I don't think it's typical to have people that look like you in design. Why is that? That's a, that's a deep question. I think one of the reasons is it, it may be cultural, so, and it, we could get into like imperialism and, and all these other stuff, but I feel like culturally, black people and Caribbean people, and I have a lot of African friends as well who experience the same thing. They're pushed towards traditional careers, whether it's by their parents or teachers or just what they think society will deem as an appropriate career path. So that's one of the reasons why, in terms of non-traditional careers, we don't see as many people that look like us. For me, I was I was fortunate because my my parents they always encourage like thinking outside outside of the box. They're both entrepreneurs, so I had the cultural angle of like what is perceived to be a good career from the outside. But like at home, I was encouraged to basically quote unquote follow your dreams and like always think about like non traditional ways of of, of generating income. My name is Catherine Ann Byam, and I'm your host. What's your purpose and how does it integrate with sustaining life itself? For some of us, this question is a deep ache that we spend a lifetime trying to find, perhaps shifting direction as we learn and grow from one path to another. For many of us, our children give us a clear definition. Providing for them becomes our reason for being. For others, it's about enjoying the present moment, ever so fleeting and ever so beautiful. For still others, it can be financial, status, contribution or impact. In this podcast, my guest and I will share with you tips, ideas and methods on how to build a career that integrates with who you are and the life you want to lead. We will explore the social foundation on which to build your transition and an ecological ceiling above which we need not climb so that we live not just for ourselves, but for our collective ability to thrive. Welcome to the Purpose Driven Career Podcast, Do What Matters. Andrew Montgomery is a digital product and UX designer born and raised in Jamaica, but currently working in Toronto, though he considers himself a citizen of the world. I love this. We're going to talk about this for sure. He's seen two sides to the story of technology coming from a place with limited access to a hub of innovation. He always questioned how to bridge the gap. Then he discovered user experience design. He believes that access to technology is a right, not a privilege, and this guides his design decisions. He aims to help make the world more equitable through his work. Andrew, absolute welcome to the show. Thanks, Catherine, for having me. Excited to be here. Excited to have you as well. And it's so great to find a, a fellow Caribbean person who's kicking up, if I can say that on YouTube, sorry, <laughs> in his role and in his job. And, and it's such a pleasure to, to sort of celebrate that positive story. So I'm really, really pleased to have you on the show. So what inspired you to get into design specifically? Honestly, I think from when I was, I was very young, I just had an interest in it. My dad was always into like construction. So I, I really believe it's it's probably genetic. Uh, I was designing uh, from a young age in like different forms. So I had a computer from an early age. My sister and I used to just print stuff. I used to design flyers in high school. In Jamaica, I did technical drawing. My undergrad degrees in architecture. Later in life, I got involved in like web design web development and that's actually how I got into product design specifically like through doing web development I was looking to kind of formalize my web development education so I started looking for like boot camps and stuff like that and BrainStation which is a boot camp in Toronto started sending me like marketing information and through the marketing information there were links to like the different programs that they were offering and I saw 
UI design, I saw UX design, I saw product management and also web development, which I was interested in at the time. But the design portion like really stood out to me. So I started doing my research because I've never heard about it. And I ended up going to one of the info sessions that they had. And that's when a bell kind of went off in my head. And I was like, this is what I'm going to pursue. And that's actually how I ended up in product design specifically. But all throughout my life, I was around design and I was always like, loosely interested in design even though I didn't necessarily know what specific road I would go down. Initially it was the architecture road and then life happened and I was kind of basically just figuring my, my life out and figuring out what I really wanted to do and I think product design specifically aligned with like all my interests. Yeah. So that's why I kind of ended up here. How long ago was that? I'd say probably about three four years ago when I first heard about user experience design ever but even when I got introduced to it I was kind of like procrastinating. Yeah. So I didn't actually dive in until probably three years ago. Yeah, it's it's interesting because I think this discovery story of finding your passion, it takes a little bit of time to kind of grab onto it because we're clouded with the things that we should be and we should do and the expectations of us from our cultures or from, from our color or from whatever it is. And, and suddenly you just say, no, okay, I want this. I'm going to go for this. I don't think it's typical to have people that look like you in design. Why is that? Um, that's, a, that's a deep question. I think one of the reasons is it, it may be cultural. So and it, we could get into like imperialism and all these other stuff. But I feel like culturally, Black people and Caribbean people and I have a lot of African friends as well who experience the same thing. They're pushed towards traditional careers, whether it's by their parents or teachers or just what they think society will deem as an appropriate career path. So that's one of the reasons why in terms of non-traditional careers, we don't see as many people that look like us. For me, I was fortunate because my, my parents, they always encouraged like thinking outside outside of the box. They're both entrepreneurs. So I had the cultural angle of like what is perceived to be a good career from the outside, but like at home, I was encouraged to basically quote unquote follow your dreams and like always think about like non-traditional ways of generating income. My dynamic was a bit different. And then I think through those those cultural like pressures to go into fields like law and medicine and stuff like that, representation is something that's big when you're looking to dive into a career. So if you're not seeing people like you in that space, you might not necessarily be encouraged to go into that space or you don't know what avenue to take. And then a lot of things like Google and, and YouTube and these new or newer technologies, they're fairly recent. So I'm um, coming up to like these times, there weren't necessarily places where you could go and learn about things on your own. So I think those are some of the reasons why we don't necessarily see people like us. And then we can get into all the other stuff like systematic racism and like people saying that there's not enough of a pipeline and stuff like that. But, but, but I think the concepts I mentioned earlier are some of the main reasons. Yeah, we're going to come to that. But I, I think I want to touch on something before we even get into that. But what does success look like in a product design career to you? And I say to you because I think that that brings another dimension to the thing as well. So for me, it's about working in, in spaces that I want to work in that I'll that have an impact on the people that I want to have an impact on. So specifically, like I've worked on a lot of ed tech platforms where I'm working on products that are focused on people that, <laughs> from my background. So one of the products I work, I've worked on is a learning management platform that tailors learning lessons to specific learning archetypes. So it's, it's, it's focused on underprivileged kids. 
And another one is, is another learning management system where it's basically centralizing all the lessons digitally, which is not necessarily a thing in, in the Caribbean. So being able to work on products that have impact on people that look like me, um, being able to work on great teams. So product design and UX design specifically are, are very, very collaborative. It's a very collaborative space. So liking the people that you work with is a very is a very big thing and working for companies that you, that you want to work for or whether it's full-time or, or contracting or, or freelancing just working on things that you want to work on with the people that you want to work on that have the impact that you'd like them to have and being able to see the results of your work and people actually using the things that you're that you're designing and building yeah no I absolutely agree with that actually as you said it I remember my, my cousin, actually, um, she's, she's a phenomenal talent at drawing. And one of her passions in creating artwork and basically text for kids and stuff is that we have all of these, especially from the Caribbean, we have all of these stories of things that mean nothing to us. So we'll talk about grapes and we'll talk about, I don't know, whatever else, strawberries, but we don't even have those things in the Caribbean. So she wants to talk about things like avocados and you know things that are more traditional to the Caribbean and, and her caricatures and drawings represent something that is more akin to, to the real story of, of growing up Caribbean and not the textbooks we've had all our lives. So I think it's interesting that you're doing this in the learning space. Yeah, that was, I guess, one of my inspirations coming in at I did. I'd like to say I'm pretty self-aware, so I know what my interests are. I know what I like working on. I know how I like to work. So when I was deciding if it was like one of the right career paths for me, working on things that are there to me was definitely at top of the list. Being able, so being from the Caribbean, like there's a lot of great designers doing like graphic design or like different forms of design. They're not necessarily as lucrative as as product design, and a lot of them have not been introduced to the concept at all. But there's a lot of it's not the same thing, but there's a lot of transferable skills. Mm. So as a representative from the Caribbean, being able to introduce some of these people to some of those things was also also pretty important to me. So going back to what you said, not having things that are representative of us, I think being able to kind of expose my people to the vast array of possibilities out there that align with their skills was, was pretty important to me. Yeah, no, that's really powerful. The other the other area that I find that Caribbean designers do very well is in fashion. So I, I have like in the UK, I've met so many or I've seen amplified the stories of so many women in fashion who've come from the Caribbean who talk about that that legacy and and being mixed cultures themselves they're able to carry the story easier. So that's that's really been a success story, at least from the Trinidad diaspora um, perspective. Um, so let's let's get into now this the challenges you face sort of doing this role that you're doing today as a Black Caribbean man in Canada. And I think, I think, I don't know, because I haven't lived there, I've only visited. <laughs> I think that it's easier to be a Black man from the Caribbean in Canada than it is to, to be that in the UK or in the US. But tell me what your thoughts are. So it's true. I, I agree. I've, I've never lived in, 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 uh, in the UK, but I, like, I follow UK culture heavily. So in terms of music, films, and I have friends in the UK and just from general reading and stuff. I think everybody has their struggles <laughs> as a black person in whatever country they're living in. So for example, like I can compare it to the States and I know some somewhat in the UK in terms of like police brutality and stuff like that. If I'm driving on the road and I get pulled over by a police, I don't necessarily fear for my life. But there might be another other black person from a different upbringing that has that same experience that somebody in the UK has. 
so I can only speak from my personal experience, but I've had generally positive encounters with like law enforcement in Toronto. I've had bad encounters as well, which I know are specifically <laughs> due to, to race, but not, I don't think it's as um, ingrained in my brain when I'm encountering the law enforcement here. Mm. I think there's a lot of, so the issues that we deal with are very similar, but it may be more overt in, in places like the UK and the States, whereas in Canada, it's more covert. So we can argue whether that's a good or a bad thing, but I like to know and see what I'm dealing with. <laughs> um, but there are definitely challenges. And from a different lens, the, the one of the challenges like growing up in the Caribbean, it's like a lot of educationally and just in general, it's a regimented environment. Mm-hmm. So, for example, if I'm going to a job interview, I have both my ears pierced right now. I've never taken all my earrings for an interview here. Since I've had a beard, I've never shaved my beard. <laughs> in, in the Caribbean, there's this facade that you need to look a certain way and behave a certain way and act a certain way if you're going for a traditional job interview. So I think that's more positive here. But in terms of like the, the experiences, I think I still struggle with being a Black person in, in, a, in a Western society, right? So I'll be on teams where I'm the only Black person or if there's any other Black person there. <laughs> Far removed, there's a lot more people from other races in senior roles, so that's rare. Mm-hmm. Whether or not this is in my head or not, like wondering if people think your ideas are valid because... Mm-hmm. It's whether you're Black or you're Caribbean, that's that's definitely a struggle. So I think all of us deal with or struggle in different in different ways, and whether or not it's worse or better, <laughs> that's like, I don't really know. But the fact that it exists is obviously is obviously a problem. But by being here, I'm trying to help kind of address that problem and make and and open the pipeline for other people to be able to exist in in a society where they where they don't have to worry about those things. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. I mean, it's difficult to compare. I also agree with that. My experience here is that it's not as it's not as overt as, as you might think. It's it's very covert, but it's very known as well. <laughs> so so I, I would say that Brexit is one of the things that has sort of opened the door, basically, for people to be more open about how they feel about things, which as you say, good or bad. <laughs> it's it's a fact that that it is it is a lot more open that you can that you can see things that you can see people's impressions and and they have justifications for everything right so that's that's always something that you have to to kind of process i would say and and definitely I would say that, especially in the corporate setting, having that, I, I basically have like four four minority statuses here. So I'm female, I'm black, I'm from the Caribbean, and I'm just a general outsider. <laughs> so so all of those things do tend to have a, a weight in, in how you're evaluated and stuff like this. And I, I, I don't know if it feels that way in places like design, because I like to think of design people as being a lot more forward thinking as as really embracing diversity more because it produces the innovation and they embrace that idea a lot more what are your thoughts on that so i i think i would like to think that too (laughs) and statistically studies have shown that if you have more diverse teams whether it's racially diverse ethnically diverse (laughs) diverse by age gender diverse that if you produce better products because you have representation from different groups and you're building products for generally building products, many different groups of people. But the reality is everybody comes with their own lived experience and that plays out in in hiring or whether they take people's decisions seriously or working with others and stuff like that. So if you're coming in to, and like I mentioned, there a lot of people in power are generally white males 
right? So that design is probably more forward than a lot of other, other like fields or industries, but it still has some of the same the same issues that that other industries have. I, I think in in tech and in design specifically, they're numbers people, and they understand that working to to let people feel welcome and, and welcomed in a space allows them to be more productive. So it's not necessarily that they're like less racist or less whatever the word you want to use is. I think they understand that this is what helps you to make better products. And if we make better products, that's better for productivity for our company. So we need to incorporate these things into our company. It's not necessarily like a moral decision. It's <laughs> it's it's more of like a bottom line decision. So if if, if someone has a company and they know that this is what's going to give them the best outputs, then that's what they're going to do. But as I said, people come with their their different lived experiences, and all those biases play out. And whatever it's it's just a, a microcosm of of the wider society, right? So it's less so in this field, but it it still exists and it it still plays out. Yeah. What has been your greatest sort of achievement in your career so far and why? So I'm working at a great company right now. So coming in, I I didn't think I'd necessarily be at a company of this magnitude so quickly, even though like imposter syndrome is real. So I know I'm a very hard worker. I'm always trying to learn and grow. But it comes back to like all those realities that I've experienced kind of making it downplay or not understanding how talented you are as an individual. So I think working at the company I'm working for is, is one of my great achievements to date. And also, as I mentioned earlier, I was working on two products that are basically dear to me. So being able to work on, on products to kind of expose, first of all, to expose them to, to learning pathways that are relevant to them. So like the education system in, in, in North America, if you're not going to private school, you might not get the, the education or the, or the attention paid to you that you need to. So being able to help facilitate, facilitate that in, in both of those EdTech products that I work on are two of my, my successes. Yeah. And what could you learn from any failures that you've had in your time in Canada? What can you take away and learn from the things that didn't work out the way you expected it to? I like to phrase things as more of learning experiences. I don't necessarily think of anything as a failure. So I try to learn from whatever situation I'm in and make myself better. I think one of the things, one of my greatest learnings is just learning and understanding my worth from being in the field specifically. So when I started out freelancing, I didn't really know what to expect. I was definitely undervaluing myself, but it was also mainly to develop a, a body of work that I could present to people and say, this is what I can do. So going through that phase during my freelancing journey, I, I learned a lot of lessons. So I learned how to optimize process. I learned how to deal with like different stakeholders at different, with different levels of understanding of design. Mm-hmm. I learned always to charge what you're worth and don't feel bad for that. And one of the biggest lessons in terms of that is like, Money is not all things, but to live comfortably in the world, you need to have money. Everything costs money. So if you really ultimately want to be happy, even if you want to just have great experiences, they cost money. So not undervaluing myself and understanding that as a designer, I'm operating within the context of the wider world and then not having any regrets for expecting or demanding what you think you're worth. Because at the end of the day, you still need to live and and everybody wants to live a comfortable life. So I think that's one of the most important lessons I've learned. Yeah, I, I totally hear you on that, Brethren. <laughs> that, that, that whole issue of what to charge and making sure that you're getting that, that money side right, it's the biggest challenge for all freelancers, especially when you're still looking to build your reputation. So yeah, I totally, I totally feel that. What sort of advice 
would you give to someone getting into freelancing today in in terms of cracking that challenge how how to break through that challenge what to do first in terms of freelancing specifically in order to get better at your craft you have to be be doing work and i don't like to advocate for people doing free work but i'd say learn the craft ensure you're on top of, of your game where that is concerned also making sure that design and freelancing is is right for you so so google what it takes to be a freelancer and the same way we do a lot of whiteboarding design write out everything all the qualities that you think you have where you want to get to like outline all these things and then make sure that it's right for you learn business concepts so just basic entrepreneurial concepts basic bookkeeping skills understand what your expenses are and then that will kind of help you to, to situate yourself and understand what you need to charge and also like do research and see what other people are charging at different levels of design so and then have conversations with other people so you can kind of understand where you are in the design field i think a lot of us feel bad for negotiating when when money is concerned because you don't want to lose the job but you also want to get paid right so don't like don't don't feel bad for doing what's best for you to live in what's predominantly a capitalist society yeah no, it's interesting because I I've definitely had that challenge of challenging someone and having them walk away from the conversation altogether. But I think that's another lesson learned, which is you have to do it. If somebody's not willing to have that conversation with you, they're not willing. They're not the right people for you to work with ever. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've had experiences where I've done work like as a favor for other people. It's you have to set boundaries. Anything I do, I always above and beyond and make sure I'm, I'm 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 doing the best work because it's a reflection of me but when you when you undercharge one it's always going to be in the back of your head especially if you're not having a great relationship with the person you're working with you might be thinking i'm not even charging what i'm supposed to charge and they have all these tips all these suggestions all these so being making sure you, you you're charging what you're supposed to charge being transparent about what this whatever package you're you're charging entails and one thing that I think all freelancers need to do as well is once you have that set package, make sure there is a conversation about any add-ons and, okay, this is what I'm going to give you. And anything extra is you're going to have to pay this, this, and this first. So having that transparency and the understanding between, between people and then understanding that what you're providing is, is of great value to the people that you're providing it to. So if they don't want to pay for that value, then just, just cut, uh, cut the conversation short. And it's always better to not get into an agreement that's going to be very hostile than making compromises on your end and then having uh, a negative relationship with the person that you're working towards. And if and ultimately, if people understand the value that you're bringing as a as a product designer and a UX designer, if they can afford to, and if they think that the work that you're going to provide to them is valuable, then they'll they'll be willing to pay for that work. If they're not, then they probably just don't understand the value of what you're giving to them. Yeah, absolutely. One other question that I that I want to touch on, and I work with a number of, of sustainable entrepreneurs, people both in service and in product. But I have a theory, and, and I would love to, to chat through it with a designer. But I have a theory that products today need to have an element of service and an element of UX. And I wanted to know your thoughts and perspective on that. Any product that's been built has a user experience. You can technically design a user experience. You can design a product and a person has an experience for that product. And the methodologies used across all fields of designer are, are pretty similar. So it's about understanding what the problem is that you're trying to solve, understanding the people that are going to be using those products, talking to them to get an understanding. If you have data that you can extract to understand the problem a bit more, do that. And then build or design a product that's custom, that addresses the, the, the needs of the people that you're designing it for. Like 
if I, if I don't know what your problem is, then I'm just making assumptions and I can't really truly design something that, that's meant to solve your problem. So design in general is just understanding a problem, understanding the people that you're solving the problem for, and then trying to address that problem through your design. A lot of the design challenges that I've heard for like interviewing for different companies and stuff, there are always these ambiguous problems that seem to be like purely physical and then you have to come up with a digital solution. So that has made me think about how I can in- integrate random stuff incorporating whatever level of digital into into physical products and experiences is a plus. And I think like as a product designer, you're supposed to always be thinking about the holistic experience and how that fits into the person's day-to-day life, right? So we do like a lot of user journey mapping and that's thinking about things outside of the specific product. It's just thinking about the context that a person will be using the product in and what leads them up to using that product and what happens with them after using that product so generally you're supposed to be thinking about a whole the holistic experience which is i guess similar to service design yeah yeah no it's really interesting really really interesting conversation all right so i'm going to bring it to a close today any final words you want to give to inspire our youth back in the Caribbean about what they can be doing i know for sure that a lot of people have written to me in the last year particularly during covid to find out how they can come to the UK, how they can come to Canada, how they can get opportunities and stuff. But in reality, they can do this, just as we were talking about digitalizing the experiences, they can sit where they are and get opportunities anyway. Any thoughts or reflections on that? Yeah, I would say to, to young people, we're in the age of the internet. Basically, information is, is out there and you can connect with people by not actually being physically around them. So I'd say whatever your passion is, just type that into, into a Google search. If your passion is design, there's a lot of design forums where you can connect with other people. So Twitter is one, Behance, Dribble, LinkedIn, go and explore all the internet has to offer. And once you do that, you'll see names come up. If you're interested in product design specifically, type in black product designers. There's a bunch of forums where where you'll see these people and don't be afraid to reach out to them. So one thing that I think is important is having coaches and mentors, somebody that can guide you through the process who has been through the process. So all in all, do your research, put yourself out there. The internet is at your hands. And don't be afraid to reach out to me or any other any other product designer. Me specifically, I don't say no to people who reach out to me. If I have the time, I'll give you my time, especially here from the Caribbean. If you're a black designer, I'll be more than happy to kind of help you guide you through the process or direct you to somebody who can and reach out to, to people as potential coaches and, and mentors to help you. A lot of us growing up, we never had all these tools at our disposal. So basically the world is your oyster to go and make the connections and do the research that you need to do to kind of get where you want to go. I love that. And what handles can they reach you at if they want to connect? So I'm on Twitter. My, my Instagram is deactivated right now, but it's the D-E-S-I-G-N-R. So designer without the last E. Drew. So that's my handle on Twitter. That's my handle on Clubhouse. So you can you can reach out to me there. Perfect. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Catherine. This episode was brought to you today by the Courageous Career Club. Have you picked up your own copy of Do What Matters, the Purpose Driven Career Transition Guidebook? To find out how you can get your copy, as well as resources that go alongside it, visit my website, www.catherineannbyam.com or engage with me on the socials. I'm looking forward to hearing from you.